So, good morning. Just for clarity, does my preaching time start now, Chris? Oh, there, okay. It's always to be clear, Chris, Chris has got one of those glares. He's a really nice guy. I just want to make sure I serve uh, you all well. It's great to be back amongst you again. I've genuinely been looking forward to this morning. Uh, we've moved some things around so that Liz can be here this morning. Both of us wanted to be here. There's such life and energy and vigour in the room in God. Um, you know God is here with you. Uh, I can evidently see it amongst you. He is a good God at work. And this morning I'm going to remind all of us of things most of us know. This may be new for one or two people. But what God has for you as a church, you need to live this, keep going back to this, check this foundation in the life of your church. I've checked with Chris, it's appropriate to do this. I want to remind us all that everyone is invited to God's table. Everyone is invited to God's table. Sharon knew that, she spoke to a boiler person. It's amazing her story isn't about six weeks of not having a boiler, that would probably be my story. It's for her, there's someone needed the word of God planted in them. Because Sharon, it was Sharon, wasn't it? Sharon knew uh, that that is the big issue really, that everyone is invited And this morning, I want to remind us of a nuance of that about diversity, the importance of diversity. Why? Because we naturally tend to be drawn towards people who are like us. Have a look around the people now where you're sitting. Sometimes we just sit with people who are like us in age or in their stage of life or maybe the colour of their skin or their type of clothes that they wear. So we we tend to be drawn, oh man, you're having a great time exploring this. We tend to be drawn towards people who either look like us, or they think like us, or they chat and laugh over the preacher like us. And whilst that is normal and natural, I want us to be clear, the gospel demands more than that from us. We must be really clear about that. Uh, The gospel calls us to keep breaking down the dividing walls between us so that together we display the multicoloured wisdom of God. Many of you know that. And God has always been into diversity. And he's not ambiguous on this issue. He's always been working for a diverse, international, multi-ethnic, multi-postcode church. And whilst it's true that not all churches will be diverse as each other, it must be said that all churches must reflect the diversity of the communities that they serve. I want to be really clear, diversity is not the goal in itself. It's not like a political agenda, we want to be, the goal is diversity. No, diversity is a measure of how much the gospel has penetrated your heart. It must be really clear on that. It's not a goal in itself. It's a measure of how much the gospel has penetrated your heart. That you move towards and feel at home with people who are very different to you. That you feel drawn to them in Jesus' name. Because they're part of the family of God. So diversity is a measure of how much the gospel has penetrated the church. Have a look around now. The great news is you are not a black church. You are not a white church. You're not a, a church of home ownership. You're neither a church of just those people who rent. Look around. No, honestly, look around. Don't talk. I know that how it works now. <laughs> ah, there's talking already. So look around. You, you are doing, you know this. 
So the way that we worship, the times that we gather, how we gather, what we eat together when we gather on picnics, should display God's grace that builds us together. That's what it's displaying. And this morning, very quickly, I would have a quick sweep through scripture to show us and remind us and to make sure we continue to be committed to that everyone is invited to God's table. So turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Acts 13, 1 to 4. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. I love the way that it flows in these type of stories. So Acts 13, 1 to 4 says this. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manion, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day as these men were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So I just want to start this morning, this journey, this big sweep, just looking at the leadership of the church in Antioch. See, one of the reasons we're sitting here today was because of this prayer meeting in a Syrian city called Antioch in the late AD 40s. The mission to us, the non-Jews, I guess started here. And notice the diversity of the leadership in the room. There's Barnabas. He was a Jew. He was a European Jew because he was from Cyprus. There was Simeon called Niger. He was a black African man. There was Lucius from Cyrene. He was also a black African, uh, most likely from Libya. Then it was Manion. He was Jewish. He was a West Asian man. Obviously, Asia is huge. Probably somewhere in Turkey, where Manion was from, and Saul. He was the West Asian Jew from what we call modern-day Turkey, from a place called Tarsus. So we've got three Jews and two Gentiles amongst the prophets and teachers of the church of Antioch. Or let's cut that another way. We've got two black Africans and two West Asians and one European in this leadership team. Now we need to remind ourselves, not every city was as diverse as Antioch. But again, I want to say, every church should reflect the diversity of the community that they're serving. And this diverse leadership, this understanding, we need to reflect the communities we're serving, has continued. Throughout church history, some of the most Influential leaders throughout church history have been Africans, have been Asians, and have been Europeans. Now, if you're American here, I'm sorry, we just didn't know you were there uh, till quite some time. But uh, you've got influential people now alive today. God has always desired a people who are diverse. And we can see this intention right at the beginning of God's story. Because it all begins with Abraham. In Genesis 1 through to 11, which is the account of God's creation and sin's entrance into the world. Essentially, those first few chapters of Genesis explain the world that we all live in. But the story of God's diverse people starts in Genesis 12. As he speaks to Abraham, he says, I will bless those who bless you. And in you, Abraham... 
I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. Every nation, every nation, every tribe, every clan, every family, as it were, will be blessed through Abraham. And as the story unfolds, we see God's people flee to Egypt. And then Joseph feeds Egypt. We see then a glimpse of the families of earth being blessed through a descendant of Abraham. The, the story starting, it's beginning to unfold. And when God's people finally flee Egypt, the rabble of non-Israelites are added in. We see that in Exodus 12. Now outsiders are being gathered into this exiled people who are leaving slavery, going towards the promised land with all the privileges that it offers. It seems like the first Jew that the Bible records that's invited to be part of God's people is Moses' father-in-law, Hobad. And he said famously, come with us, Hobad, and we will do you good. And as they journey, more and more people are added in. We've got Rahab the prostitute. She was a Canaanite. And then we have Ruth the Moabitess. And now we've got Canaanites and Moabitess being added into coming under the blessing of God. We then have Obed-Edom. He was simply blessed because he's housed the ark of God in his home. And when the ark left to return to the city of David, he went with him. And now Edomites are being added in. And so the story continues until we get to, you know the answer? Jesus. And so we now have the arrival of Jesus. And when Jesus came, if you remember, he preached mainly to the Jews, at least initially. But he keeps... He keeps kind of getting stopped and people are cross with him because he gives the dogs crumbs to eat from the children's table. The Roman officer's young servant gets healed because of Jesus. Jesus started including all the wrong people. He included Levi. He was a tax collector and just to remind you how tax collection worked there. So Levi worked for the Roman oppressors. And he was given a charter, he had to raise a certain amount of tax. Everything he raised above that he could keep. So Levi and other tax collectors extorted, took more money than they should have done from the Jews and the Romans didn't care. (coughs) Jesus invited Levi, the hated, traitorous tax collectors, into his inner circle. Jesus cleared the temple because it was supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations, not a marketplace set up to serve Jewish economy. Jesus said that God's kingdom was going to be like a banquet that everyone was going to be invited to. And so servants are sent out to gather people from the highway and the hedges. Well, why is that? Because everyone is invited to the table of God. And as Jesus dies, a Roman centurion watches and he declares, this man was truly the son of God. Incredibly, a Gentile is now confessing who Jesus truly is. Why is that? It's because everyone is invited. Jesus' final command to his followers is that they go into all the world and that they make disciples of what? All nations. Everyone is invited. Are you getting this tagline? Everyone is invited. But having said all this, we don't really get diversity yet. 
Diversity is when the many all express their manyness whilst also expressing oneness. So there's many people being many people, but they express their oneness. That's diversity. Because we don't get that yet, because at that point, Gentiles who were joining God's people had to become like them. They had to take on their food laws and their observances. Essentially, if you want to be part of God's people up to this point, you had to convert to Judaism. They were to imitate Jews. You can come with us if you become like us. That's quite telling, isn't it, how the Jews thought? Many Christians today think like that as well. That is not diversity, that is conformity. The call then was to become the same as the Jews. But in Acts, we start to see Jesus' desire for diversity being outworked. Because he sends the Holy Spirit upon his people. And the Holy Spirit brings oneness and manyness. He comes and gives us oneness, a sense of unity, and also manyness. To better understand that, I just want to give us a quick illustration. I want to think about an orchestra. An orchestra and the Amazon River. So first of all, the orchestra. Now, pop quiz now. An orchestra is the last large ensemble of classical musical instruments. Okay? Can you tell me the four groups of musical instruments? Strings. Brass. Percussion. String or bowed. And there is a fifth one, controversially. Keys. Keyboards. But that's still controversial. I'm told I'm not a musician. So in an orchestra, essentially, they all play the overarching piece of music, and yet each section, each instrument, plays differing parts. The alternative to an orchestra is not pleasant experience. Can you imagine a hundred people playing the recorder? Uh, I remember when my kids played the recorder, they get into a moment, pop, 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 and you have to encourage them. Can you imagine having a hundred people going pa, 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 pa. There would be oneness, yes, but not manyness. It's conformity, but it sounds poor, if not screechy. And so, uh, manyness without oneness, that's lots of different instruments, but no togetherness, that's not much better, because that's called a cacophony. Can you imagine the racket that would happen if I stole out into the kids' work now, dumped a bunch of shakers and rattlers with the kids and said, have a blast, and then ran out? Can you imagine the noise that would make? It would not be pleasant. So we don't want conformity. We don't want concophony. Actually, what we want is symphony. Because if you have one and the many, if people preserve their manyness whilst also taking on a sense of oneness in Jesus, then you have symphony. Now, diversity is to be like an orchestra where we're all playing different sounds, but we have the same overarching piece of music written by Jesus, and that sounds beautiful. And that's what we begin to see in the book of Acts. But the truth is, diversity is really difficult. 
sometimes the instruments clash. Sometimes the manyness collides with the oneness. And church has to figure this stuff out. And we see that in the book of Acts. Uh, initially we see, now what are they going to do about this injustice between the Greek widows and the Hebrew widows and the distribution of food? Now that is a diversity problem right at the start of, jo- of church life. What are they going to do about the people in our church who haven't yet been cir- circumcised and yet the Holy Spirit has come upon them? I mean, that's a diversity issue because the Holy Spirit has no regard for your ethnicity. And so he was coming upon them, whether you've been circumcised or not, they had to figure that out. We see that in Acts 15. And, and they were trying to figure out, how are they going to handle meals? Because they're in situations where they, a Jew would realise that this person next to them is eating pork. And they find that repulsive. That is disgusting to eat pork. Uh, They found that disgusting their entire life, dating back to their father Moses. And now they are in church, and there's someone alongside me eating pork. And and is there any way that person could eat pork elsewhere, because I find it repulsive that you'd even want to eat that stuff. Uh, They have to figure that stuff out. They were faced with their own preferences and their prejudices. You know the the difference between... It's okay to have preferences. And if you're the grown-up, if you're the mature person, you have to yield your preferences at times. But sometimes our preferences get so grown up and so expanded, they become prejudices. It's no more than just a preference. This is the right way of doing things. And suddenly, when you're in a diverse church... You're faced with more than your preferences. This is how I prefer to do it. No, this is how it should be done. Your preferences has become a prejudice. And and, and in light of the cross, you've got to work and untangle all these things out. Yes, God has reconciled them first to himself, but God has also reconciled us to one another. And we all have preferences and prejudices, don't we? Clearly, Adidas trainers are better than Nike. It appears not. (laughs) The types of songs that we want to sing, the rhythm, the length of the meetings, preferences or prejudices. Where do you settle on those things when we're pursuing the unity in Christ Jesus? We are empowered to be reconciled to one another. This is the logic of Ephesians 2 and 3. There remain many, but they've become one in Jesus Christ. And that has always been the plan. It has always been God's intention that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is on display. Look around. This is the manifold wisdom of God, oneness with manyness, being displayed for all who will see. Principalities and powers are looking down right now And they see male and female, slave and free, barbarian, Scythian, all together for the glory of God. Even now, I reckon they're looking down thinking, how on earth are these people all in the same room? Do they know their history with each other? Do they know the, the disproportion of wealth amongst them? And yet they're all together for the glory of God. How is that possible? God must be so wise. 
He must be so wonderful that together there is now unity without uniformity. There is diversity without division. Wow! Is, is anyone else you're thrilled by that? It's amazing, isn't it? What the gospel of Jesus. We're not just reconciled to God. We're reconciled to one another. And the Holy Spirit is within us helping us work that all out. There's now no male or female, Jew and Gentile, no slave or free, but Christ is all and Christ is in all. And that has always been the story of God. That first analogy then is an orchestra. The second is the Amazon River. The second analogy to help us understand is the people of God are a bit like the Amazon River. I'm told that at its source in the mountains of Peru, there's just a tiny trickle of water. And the people could honestly say, if you trace that long enough, this is clearly the start of the Amazon River. It has a source. Just like right at the beginning of the story in Genesis 12, an old man and an old woman are the source of God's blessing to the nation. You, you do know that. That's the story of the Bible. One man, one woman, old as they were, this trickle, this old couple, they looked unimpressive. But through them, they were going to be a blessing to the nations. It's like someone speaking to this little trickle of stream and saying, in you... All of South America will get water. You think, what? You're crazy. It's just a small trickle. But as this river begins to wind its way through the book of Genesis, it begins to grow to a point that you can't jump across it or walk across it. Now, at the end of the book of Genesis, God's people now number 70 as they enter Egypt. They're a size that's noticed, but they're not yet significant. 400 years later, they leave as a small nation, but they're still surrounded by much more powerful ones in human thinking. And so the Amazon keeps flowing and growing in the uplands of Peru. Now we need a boat to cross it as it flows down on towards Brazil. But when the Amazon reaches the Brazilian rainforest, something happens. Other rivers begin to feed into it. And then suddenly you see the Amazon River is growing. It reaches the rainforest. Other rivers feed into it. You can identify it right back to that small trickle in Peru. But now other rivers called tributaries are flowing in from all sorts of directions. We see this, what happens in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit descends And rapidly, other nations, Gentile nations, are joining the people of God. New nations, new people groups are being added into his purposes. And when they do, they still retain their sense of history. They still retain that, their history of their source. But now they take on a new identity as the people of God. And so do we. When we join God's people, we're still, uh, as we come as the people we're from, And yet in our manyness, we now flow together towards the sea. I'm told, I don't know if this is true, but I'm told on on Wiki, by the time the Amazon hits the Atlantic, it's carrying more fresh water than the next 10 biggest rivers combined. I mean, it is a vast river and it carries 10% of all of the world's fresh water. 
It's an enormous river. It's so powerful that it turns the salty ocean fresh up to 200 miles out to sea. Apparently there's a, a column of fresh water sitting on the top that you can see and it's fresh. Now this is what the Apostle John saw prophetically when he saw, and look from that reading earlier that Chris read, when he saw an, a great multitude that no one could number where every nation and tribe is standing before the throne of God. From that small trickle, that whole couple, now there's this mighty move of God. John saw many people who had become one, and he saw one people who were many and made up from many diverse. I mean, this story we've heard this morning reminds us, you know, we're all outsiders in God's people. That's where we all started as outsiders. <coughs> Gospel diversity is not a question of white people saying we want to welcome in black people or black people saying we want to welcome in white people or those people who rent saying we want to w- welcome in the home buyers. That's not gospel diversity. It's not about that. Because in a sense, we're all outsiders who've been welcomed in by someone else. Who's welcomed us in? You must answer that question. Who's welcomed us in? Can we say that again? I love to hear. Who's welcomed us in? Jesus. Jesus has allowed all of us in. You've got to know that in your bones. You've got to know that in your heart. You've got to know it in your thinking. You've got to know that in your preferences. You've got to know that Jesus has allowed us in. That's the wonder. We don't get to choose. We have joined in. We were once all outsiders. We've been allowed in by Jesus. All of us, as these tributaries, as it were, have come to his banquet. You do know these are his rules. It's his house. It's his table will be coming to shortly for communion. And everyone, everyone is invited. I said earlier that churches should reflect the diversity of the communities they serve. Now this week I've been on Southwark's... Southwark? Did you say Southwark? I thought if I get that wrong that would be awful. Southwark Council. (laughs) Southwark. I'm sure they say Southwark. Southwark, Southwark, innit? Apparently. Southwark Council, I've been, I've been on Southwark Council's census data to remind myself of the community you're serving. Whether it's true or not, you can decide. This is your world. They say that 43% of those living in Bermondsey are in social housing, when nationally for England it's 18%. So a high proportion of social housing here are rented or housing association. 26% so, uh, have either no qualifications or a qualification equal to one GCSE. And so if you're doing well as a church, a quarter of this church should either have no qualifications or, or just one GCSE. So that you want to be reflecting the, the church. So this church needs to be geared up for people who come with no qualification or one GCSE that they feel comfortable here. Interestingly for you, and you know this just for who's in the room now, over a half of people in Southwark have a higher level qualification. 54% of Bermondsey residents have a higher education. That's an amazing complex situation, isn't it? 54% have a high level qualification and a quarter have one GCSE or none. Yes. Come on. <laughs> Mr Nicholson is in the house. 
39% of residents of Bermondsey are immigrants. 39%. If you want to reflect your community that you're serving, 39%. Interestingly, and you know this, Southwark Council have concluded that you are a complex community to understand. <laughs> and so they have commissioned a special report that I even started to read this week and just thought, this is really hard. And they've, they've commissioned it on their, on, your, on their website, your website, you're paying for it, I guess. On your website, the council one, Understanding Complex Communities, they reckon that five of the hardest communities to reach, and they've commissioned a report to help them do this, are the French-speaking sub-Saharan Africans. This is what the report says. The Bangladeshis, the Arabic speakers, mostly identifying as Arab, the Nigerians, which, which surprised me, because Nigerians are generally very buoyant and maybe it's because they are looking after themselves, and the Sierra Leoneans. Now, I wonder, I wonder how is City Hope in reflecting these statistics? Uh, is 43% on social housing of one description of another? Because I reckon on many of these things, you are reaching your community. But I do wonder when I look at these communities, these statistics... I wonder which of these statistics are going to start to become... A, there's like a little trickle of this statistic. And this trickles is now starting to come into the flow of City Hope. That God is doing a new thing in terms of you reaching the community uh, broader than what you've traditionally served. But there's now new opportunities of opening up for City Church's ministries over the coming years. I just wonder, what is God saying for this new season of church life? In a few moments, we're going to receive bread and wine of communion. And I choose my words carefully. We're going to receive. You don't take communion. Communion is a gospel issue. It's something that we receive by grace. So in a few moments, we're going to receive communion. And those of us who've put our trust in Jesus, those of us who've repented, they've left the life of our source river behind, and we've now joined in this great river of the purposes of God, we're going to receive this bread and we're going to receive this juice and we're going to feed again on Jesus. In our manyness, we're going to come together in our oneness in Jesus Christ. And when we do that, I'm going to get everyone to receive the bread and the juice and then we're going to do it a little bit differently. So don't uh, take or don't drink your juice or eat your bread too quickly once you've got that, if you can hold it. And we're going to trust again in Jesus' promise that by faith the small trickle of our life has now joined the mighty flow of his life. That's what we're going to do in a moment, all together. Because everyone is invited to their place in the feast in the kingdom of God. But I just want to talk to maybe one or two people here this morning. Maybe there's more. If you're here this morning and you know that the small trickle of your life isn't yet flowing into Jesus's. If you're here this morning and you know that the small trickle of your life doesn't flow, your small tributary isn't flowing into the life of Jesus in terms of the purposes of God, you putting your trust and faith in, in Jesus. If you're here this morning and the small trickle of life, you know deep in your heart you're not yet a Christian. We really want you to put your trust in Jesus. 
that your life can flow into his life. That this morning, once you've spoken to Chris or another leader, that you could take communion with us, that you could share in this moment with us. If you're here this morning, you've not yet put your trust in Jesus, you've not yet repented, that you've had a change of heart, a change of your mind, a change of direction and the actions in your life. If you're not yet following Jesus, I, 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 want, to, I want you to put your trust in him this morning. It will cost you much and you will gain everything. But is there anyone here this morning, I don't know what your culture is here, I don't know how you do this. But if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and you want to give your life to him, please don't take bread and the juice now. I want you to make yourself... Is there anyone... Do you put your hands up here for that kind of stuff? Is that too clunky? Chris is saying, no, don't do that, it'd be the worst thing ever. So don't... You don't have to put your hand up. I just want you to make yourself known to myself, or Chris, or to Rebecca, who is here at the front. You give your, please don't be distracted by the cups and the people. This is a really important moment if you're not yet following Jesus.